Incredible Sandy Chong, who many of you will know from her work for the Australian Hairdressing Council, where she holds the position of CEO, but also as an incredibly talented and probably one of the most inspiring salon owners that I've ever had the privilege of working with, if not the most. Um, so thanks so much for joining us, Sandy. Really appreciate you taking the time. Well, hi, Hayley. And um, as you know, you're like my daughter number two. Um, <laughs> So there's a fucking dog going off outside. Are you kidding me? Did you get that? Could you barking outside the window? Look, I, I can't hear the barking, but I think it makes for very entertaining listening. So let's let's keep it in. <laughs> well, it's entirely up to you. Otherwise, you can press record again. Anyways. <laughs> so uh starting again thanks so much for having me Hayley and obviously we've known each other for years because you were one of my apprentices I know that. I know and do you know what's funny I think in preparation for this chat today I actually had this dream last night that I was back in the salon the salon <laughs> where I did my apprenticeship working that's a scream that's hilarious yeah. Did you know, I even remember you before you were an apprentice. You were a model, if mm-hmm. you remember, for a haircutting session that we had in the salon. So I think it's just really amazing to, I guess, see where you're at now and know that, you know, you did hairdressing, you travelled over to London and you were a technician over there. You've come back, you know, gone to uni and you've gone so far. And I just think, you know, the hairdressing industry isn't about, maybe just working the salon, which is fantastic as well, you know, serving our community and looking after our community, but also the opportunities on how far and wide you can go, you know, especially when you do have that background of being a hairdresser. I mean, look at you. Amazing. Well, uh, yeah, look, I, t- I totally agree. And it wasn't until we went on tour together a few months ago with uh, Goldwell and MBE that I actually found out the beginning of your career. I knew that I knew a little bit about it, but you said, and I'd love you to tell the story about how you followed your cousin into the hairdressing industry. Yeah, well, it was my cousin and my aunt, and I just still remember seeing them in uh, in the kitchen at my nana's house, and they both looked so cool. They were going out. They were both hairdressers, and um, uh, they had on these really amazing clothes and high boots, and they were just always fun. They were always laughing, and I just thought, I want to be them. I want to have their lifestyle, and they're both hairdressers, okay? So they worked at, um, at a company called De Lorenzo, and uh, Denise used to be on TV and she was like one of Vincent's right arms. She was, I guess, his apprentice and hairdresser on the side that he used a lot for his work. And I just found them, I guess, really inspiring. Uh, my mother wanted me to do computers and I couldn't think of anything worse. <laughs> it was like hairdressing or computers, hairdressing or computers. And anyway, so I did actually walk into a salon and um it was just pumping and it was everything that I loved. It was the vibe. It was the, you know, the music, the fashion, the people. And I just felt really comfortable and I love that. Or do I want to work 
um, with computers. No, it just did not inspire me at all. But all these amazing people did. And I think what I love too was how inclusive the hairdressing industry is. It, like, it doesn't matter, um, you know, what your nationality was or, you know, um, they were just inclusive anyway. I just loved the characters, let's say. Um, in the hairdressing industry, you know, and it's, and it's full of characters. It's full of personalities. And I think that's why I wanted to join the industry. Yeah. So can you get, just give everyone a little bit of background about your role as the CEO of the AHC? Um, because I know that everyone kind of identifies with you being the face of the AHC, but I think a lot of people don't understand just the complexities of what happens in the background and you being the voice to government. So can you talk me through that? Yeah, well, there is an entire team behind, you know, behind my face, in fact, behind my role. And um, and so, you know, to be fair, there is an AHC team and, uh, you know, that covers everything from taking care of our members to, um, you know, of course, Jenny Burns and Julia Beto take care of our marketing and they're incredible. Um, and I mean, there is a, a wonderful board of directors where we go for skill sets. Okay. So, uh, we don't just have hairdressers on the board. Um, and, uh, because I'm a hairdresser and I have my own business and have had for 38 years. So I feel like I do understand what it's like to be a small business. Um, as the CEO, well, um, I think what, uh, part of my role has become is the advocacy and lobbying. Um, on behalf of the industry. And it's absolutely necessary because decisions are made on small business or on our industry without any consultation. And so we have to make sure we're in the forefront of that. We have to make sure that um, when submissions need to be put in on behalf of business or behalf on behalf of the industry, you know, we have to make sure that we're doing them. Um, and it's building a network. And I think probably the frustrating thing is, is government moves around fairly quickly. You know, ministers change their portfolios, um, bureaucrats move their positions in, within the government. It's constantly rebuilding relationships and retelling the story and just uh, not, not letting up. I mean, many give up early, they go, oh, you know, I'm I'm fed up, you know, nothing changes. And it's like, well, it takes a long time for change, but you have to just be out in the forefront all the time. Yeah. With all of your trips to Canberra, what have you learned from a small business perspective? Like has this role kind of opened you up as a salon owner to seeing things in a really different way? So I guess two sides to that. My trips to Canberra has or speaking with any of the ministers um, because I will also, when I'm in different states, I will always make sure that I see a government department within that state or territory. So probably the one of my biggest learnings is that when it comes to the government, they really do not understand what it's like to be a small business person. Um, even though they might have a small business representative or a minister, um, in government, and that has certainly been something that we are happier about, that there is now a minister representing small business. But when it comes to the bureaucrats, they do not understand the day-to-day challenges of running a small business, um, whether it's everything from employment practices to cash flow to invoicing, but just the day-to-day challenges of a small business 
they really don't understand that stress and they don't understand that small business people generally pay themselves last. So they put their employees first. Mm-hmm. They take they take care of their community, but they don't understand, I guess, the financial challenges that, you know, if they lose their business, they lose their house. It's not like being an employee, especially when it comes to the public service um, where jobs are more secure. So there's always, you know, as a small business person, you know, we always feel that pressure and stress on our shoulders. Um, 24-7, we don't go home from our business, we take it with us. Mm. And I think that's probably one of the biggest learnings I've had with the government. Um, And being the CEO, I guess I've learned a lot about other businesses as well and different, I guess, uh, different models of business um, from sole traders to multi-groups to franchise groups to, you know, um, salons that are just uh, an owner might just have one salon. But also, too, there are many people who work in our industry, like our associate members. They provide services to the industry and also the companies, learning about their challenges like supply chains, for instance. As a small business, you would not normally think how that would affect your business, but it absolutely does. Yeah. I think, you know, now that we're post-pandemic, we've we've gone through like a whole bunch of different errors. And can you kind of identify what those errors have been over your career? Or would you say that the change that we've experienced in the last two years has been the most dynamic change, not just in the industry, but as any business person across any field? Uh, Look, I think that uh, the pandemic, as in 2020 and 2021, plus the natural disasters, have certainly changed the way that we do business and it's also changed many industries. Now, there's a dire skill shortage in all trades, okay, and in Mm. all industries, so hairdressing, hospitality, everything right down to accountants. What has escalated is that skill shortage. Um, Many of our trades, for instance, lost a lot of our workers who were here on a visa because they weren't eligible for JobKeeper in 2020. Um, And so in hairdressing, we lost over 3,000 workers, 3,000 stylists and barbers on visas. So that has certainly affected our skill shortage. Um, I think the other thing too is just uh, because it's an employee's market, it's really difficult to get started. Um, many of us have looked at our, um, I guess, our life work balance. And even for my own business, we're closed on a Monday and a Saturday. So it's Saturday, Sunday, Monday that we're closed. And there seems to be a real pattern around that as well. Mm. If you look at any of the, you know, any of the, I guess, industries where you work in an office, um, most offices are now virtual Um And I think the concern with that, though, is we're losing culture in many trades because no one's actually all working together. And we're quite conscious of that. So um, what a lot of the departments are now doing is saying you have to be in the office three days a week and you have two days at home. So we noticed that. Um, But with the pandemic, look, it's certainly changed uh, a lot of things. Um, I guess the negative is the amount of mental health. Um, mental health issues have really escalated in 2020 and 2021. And in 2022, we're finding almost like it's a post-traumatic type of um, post-pandemic mental health. And there's been a lot of um, tiredness. Uh, there's been a lot of, um, you know, they, they got themselves through the two years. 
but the stress was massive in those two years. Mm -hmm. And so 2022, I think what has happened is an escalation of that concerns around mental health. Mm. It's I love what you just said about work-life balance because for me, I'm definitely noticing not just for myself but for my team that I've got to be really aware of what their work-life balance looks like and it's probably not something that I really ever considered up until probably this year. And I think, you know, creating that that work culture where they feel, <coughs> pardon me, where they feel that they do have that balance is it's primary to the longevity of them staying with me as uh, as a leader and as a business. And I think that that goes for all businesses. And I think it's also creating a, a business culture where you're teaching everyone, clients, suppliers, all of those people, just what work-life balance is and how they need to treat you. And I think you said to me once, you you train people how to treat you. Was that the quote? Yeah, well, you do. You train people. You train others how to treat you and what you tolerate is what you get. And, you know, I think that is is just a life lesson full stop. But I think, um, you know, when I look at hairdressing, there's so much that I love about our industry. Um, what I don't love is when, um, I guess when, um, and in all industries anyway, is when you do have a leader who doesn't understand what culture is. And culture is how we do things around here. And, you know, with our industry, um, um, you know, when we look at apprentices, for instance, I'll use that as an example, apprentices are not your cleaners. And so we lose, we have one of the highest loss of apprentices than any other trade. And the reason being is when they start off as a first year, they're just used as cleaners. And really they need to be, you know, we need to schedule training for them from day one and we need to get them doing things from day one. And that's why we lose them. And so when we talk about work, life and balance, that must start from day one with any employee. And, um, you know, I know you know that with our own salon, we've got long-term employees. We've never had a skill shortage with my own business. And I think that, um, you know, times have changed, but we would talk about that culture on how we do things at work. But now we have to talk about what happens outside of work and we need to have that work-life balance and take into consideration what is it that everybody needs to do, what's important to them. And I think 2020 and 2021, everyone had time to think about, well, what is important to them and health comes right up there on the list. You know, I need to be healthy. I need to make sure I'm well rested. I need to have fun. I need to um, you know, see my family, my friends. Uh, whereas before, I think many of us sort of, they, they were up there, but now they're certainly up there as part of what we need, you know, for our own mental health as well. Yeah. I think that's definitely a huge part of creating, you know, the best possible team culture. But something that we did, um, so when I started my apprenticeship with you, it was the year 2000, and I probably quite naively went out into the rest of my career thinking that every salon did the same things that I had experienced in my apprenticeship. And that was the way that you incentivize your team and I, I thought that every salon did that. So, for example, we would be given the opportunity to win an overseas trip every year. We'd be given retail incentives, even though we weren't necessarily selling the retail on the floor. 
Um, the prizes that we had available to us were absolutely incredible. There were motorcycles. I remember at one point someone won a Vespa. I mean, the way in which that kind of became a part of Suki's culture, but, you know, like I said, I thought that every salon did that. It was such an important part of why you have a team that has such incredible longevity. So if you could just tell everyone a little bit about how you incentivize your team and the benefits of doing it, because I think a lot of people really struggle with connecting that investment to having a return. Yeah, well, I think that most do actually look at the investment and want the return, but I have a different idea what that return is. And if I ever talk about an incentive to a business owner and ask them, why do you have incentives? They will always say the same things and they're all right answers and they're things like to reward the staff and it's to increase retail or increase services and whatever. But I never actually do an incentive for that. The only reason I do an incentive is to train staff to be productive to a point where they don't know how to not be productive, whether there's an incentive or not. So the whole idea of an incentive is actually about training. Um, And you start to see also those who embrace an incentive, they're the ones who will be productive in the future. So it also helps me choose my team, um, who we will keep and who we won't keep because you need to be productive if you're going to work within my salon. Um, But what we do is we see things that they do that they would not normally do. So when someone is highly productive, it's what is it that you were doing then when you were productive compared to when you weren't. And there's a set of skills, and quite simply, the skill is just do it. And that's it. It's actually that simple. It's like Mm. just do it. So if you're talking about retail, it's about doing it properly, putting the product in front of a client, et cetera, and not getting overcomplicated but telling them what it needs. Then you either do it or you don't. Those who are not productive, just don't do it. So when someone's not productive after an incentive, it's like, what is it that you're not doing that you were doing before? And it comes down to the same thing. It's actually not a skill. You just do it. But what is the skill is to become productive where it's a habit. So you don't know how to not be productive. That's the only reason why we actually do them, why I do them. From an employee's perspective, they would never realise that. Hmm. However, as you know, with our staff, they're highly paid with their commission. They're highly productive. But no one knows how to be productive unless you train them to be that. And many business owners make that mistake. They expect everyone to do big dollars, but they don't know how to do that. And so our incentives is actually all about training. Yeah. I look, I, I think that I walked away from my time on the floor and I was just so grateful retrospectively for all of those opportunities. So from an employee point of view, it's incredibly rewarding. It would maintain motivation. It, you know, I guess enables the drive that you have. But also I think, you know, to see any kind of reward, it's such a great system to have with your team because everyone has like a different reward trigger. And within my team, some people work really well when they're rewarded with praise. Other people work really well when they're rewarded financially and other people are a combination of the two. And I think once you understand that, it's so it's so powerful to see how much you can actually increase uh, productivity and drive within the team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing that our industry has always lacked is creating a package for staff, as in what is it that we're offering staff? So training is one of them. So one thing that our salon has always had 
is a specific training time every week. So that does not change ever. And well, we don't train Christmas. And but the thing that surprises me with the industry is they'll often train if they have downtime. Now, if they have downtime, that's great, but it's inconsistent. So it's inconsistent for an apprentice as well. Yeah. And also for the senior starter. So the apprentices feel like they're not really getting training because it's ad hoc. And so training is part of our package. Incentives is part of our package. Working rosters around their needs is part of our package. Even getting your hair done, which a lot of hairdressers take for granted, is part of your package. And if you were to put a dollar value on someone who's worked with you for 10 years and how much they've had done to their hair, it's part of their package and it's actually worth a lot of money. It's worth thousands, in fact. It's yeah. part of the package. So sometimes we forget what we do offer in our package and we forget what we should be offering as well. Yeah. My question to you probably as a final question, because I want to dive pretty deep into this, is looking back over your career, do you have any key highlights or like key moments that really defined, I guess, where you've come from and where you're at now? Oh, well, I've been in my career now for 50 years. So that's a really long time, Hayley, for me (laughs) to think. It's interesting. I was telling someone the other day about a particular show that we put on at Hair Expo. And, um, you know, we we did this show with the White House Institute of Design and Peter Dwyer, if you remember, made these incredible, amazing gowns with his students out of white paper. And, um, you know, the theme of this show was called White Lies and, and we showed these visuals that were beautiful and um, they would show, um, you know, our planet Earth and all these amazing places in it. But then it actually moved into war. We had Frankie goes to Hollywood, you know, war, what is it good for, into leading to the atomic bomb. So it was all about, you know, how we live in this world. But, you know, we also have that that threat of, you know, like of the things that go wrong and all the terrible things, the hunger and all of that. Anyway, so we did um, we did this incredible show and the music was amazing, the visuals were, amus- were amazing. And I don't ever remember this, but for ever, ever happening for anyone else. And there was a standing ovation and all the cameras went out the back to interview everyone because it was really amazing. That, I think that was really probably from a creative point of view, one of my highlights in the industry. Um, and it was funny, someone said to me, wow, you know, you, you're an overnight success. And it's like, well, no, we've actually been, had the business now for like 25 years or something like that. Or, you know, it was like, no, there was no overnight success. But it really highlighted to me too, I guess, you know, you work so hard you work so hard to get where you're at. And there's been many times in my career, I think the thing is in anyone's career who's going to be there for the long time, you will always have your highs and lows. And hopefully you don't have too many lows, but hopefully you don't uh, think about the lows too much and appreciate the highs. I would have too many highs to think, uh, I guess, to talk about. With you, every time I take someone overseas, it's always a high, and I love it. Um, but in business, every new salon was always a high. Looking down the salon, seeing everyone busy and it's pumping, everyone's healthy and happy, that's a high. Um, any awards that we've won are a high. Certainly, 
um, the Hall of Fame uh, from Hair Expo and the um, special recognition from the AHIAs is a high. So there's different levels of high and certainly lows, probably our lows when we've been flooded and our ceilings have have collapsed, (laughs) you know, the earthquake, we went through an earthquake. So I've gone through two floods and an earthquake. Um, So there's been lows, but there's probably been more highs than lows anyway. I always think back to something that you said to me once. um, And because like everyone, you, you, you ride your highs and the lows and you said to me, um, everyone will have the lows and it's how you respond and how you bounce back that really counts. So I find if I focus my energy on like, this is such a shit time right now, but if I can just work out how I'm going to get through it one day at a time and how I respond to something that's pretty unpleasant, that will define me as a person. So, and it's like, you know, sometimes those situations, they bring out the best and worst in people. So I have to use the lows to make sure that brings out the best and not the worst. Yeah, I think the lows really define your character too. And I think the one thing I've learned is to not say anything. So everyone knows when I'm cranky, I don't say anything. Or if I, if there's a decision that needs to be made, um, you know, I would hope that I never come across as reactive. Um, everyone knows that when I need to think about something, I'll just go, right. I never really commit. So if I'm really cranky, I, I don't commit to anything till I can see things with clarity. And I think that, you know, hairdressers are very emotional. Um, you know, we're emotional beings. So we tend to lash out. And I think that leaders in the industry that do really well are those that can sit back and actually not say anything. You know, some things, um, they don't need the attention either. Mm. Some things move on um, and uh, sometimes you don't need to, you, you don't need to do, you need to allow others to also calm down or whatever. But, um, look, I think when when there are those Exactly as you say, I, I think you need to recognize what is it that you do, you need to do to help you when you are having a low day um, or something has happened. For me, I'll go for a walk. You know, I live at Merriweather, so it's a beautiful beach. And so I only need to look at the ocean. Um, some people listen to music. That is the last thing that I'll do. So, you know, you need to sort of recognize, I know my husband will put on it's music, I just want to turn it all off, but it's recognizing what will help you with that low for me it's also a dog I will kiss and hug every dog I see and I will be out of my low in no time um and so you know everyone has something different some go to the gym that's the last thing I'll do as well so everyone has something that they should focus on if they're having a low day and it helps them think with clarity versus being reactive versus emotionally I feel like you 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 answered some of the the question that I have for you next, and that was to describe your perfect Sunday. And because I have the um, I have the luxury and the pleasure of getting to see you at your place in Newcastle, I know what that looks like from a visual point of view. So, can you describe what your perfect Sunday looks like? My perfect Sunday is going to be the most boring <laughs> Sunday for everybody else. So, bear in mind that I move around a lot. And I travel a lot, so my perfect Sunday is staying at home. And uh, I always put her around the house and sort of clean, do the washing. I did all washing yesterday. <laughs> I kept thinking I am such a boring housewife, but it was such a perfect drying day. But my perfect Sunday is cooking for the family. 
So I can spend all day cooking um, because I like to prep everything. My Saturday night, I would be choosing what I'm going to cook. I'll send photos of what I'm going to cook to my son-in-law so he can get excited. <laughs> and then the whole family comes along. They pretty much destroy the house within half an hour that they get there. And uh, so at the end of the night, it's a bit of cleaning up. But my perfect Sunday has been with the family. It's been with my ha- in my house, my dog. Um, last night we went for a walk down to Merriweather. We actually had a meal there and then walked back. The kids went for a swim. Um, you know, I think the photos on my Facebook and Instagram, and that would be my perfect Sunday, um, just chilling. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. How boring is that? But, no, you know, no, no. It's, that, that's my Sunday stay at home. <laughs> actually, a perfect Sunday is when I don't have to work as well, you know, yeah. Um, People will tend to call me and it's like, this is my family time. Right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's my perfect Sunday, seeing, um, yeah, seeing my daughter and her family. Mm-hmm. It's been so lovely to be able to have this chat with you and thank you so much for imparting so much wisdom. I'm really excited to um, to share this and get it out there because I know that, you know, so many people know you, um, but for them to get a real insight into, you know, the Sandy that they don't know, it's, it's a real honour. No, I thank you for having me, Hayley, and, um, you know, always loves chatting with you. I always love watching your career just become more and more successful. Obviously, I've been part of your journey since you were, what, 15, 14 or 15? Yeah. 15, so it's been wonderful watching your journey and even also to watching Show Pony's journey. Yeah. So watching from start. Meeting Steph many, many years ago, she came along to an AHC meeting when we when we actually first started and she was supportive from day one. So watching Show Pony grow in leaps and bounds and be an international company now. And I mean, she's beautiful and everyone who works for Show Pony is beautiful as well. So love watching their growth as well. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. Um, All right. Well, um, I'm going to put some little links in the show notes um, about the AHC because if anyone wants to know more information, you've got the most incredibly comprehensive website. So um, all of those details will be there. So thanks again for your time, Sandy, and um, hopefully we'll get you, get you back on in a little while to chat again. Absolutely. Thanks, Hales. Okay. Thanks. Thanks.